Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Well, hello and um, welcome to this ODI lunchtime lecture. Thanks for coming. Um, my name is Becky. I'm in the production team here at the ODI. Um, and it's my pleasure today to introduce today's lunchtime lecture, which is by Sebastian Wilson, who's he's the director of Hanking Consulting and he's the delivery lead for Google Cloud at HSBC. Um, <clears throat> and today, Sebastian will be talking about how technology is used in the finance sector and how customer data is used for insights, decision making and improving online journeys. Um, just some housekeeping, uh, please could you turn off your cameras and um, mute your mics for now as we're going to be recording the session. Um, and we'll take questions at the end. Um, could you uh, please submit your questions using the chat function? And then after the talk, we'll get you to um, unmute your mics one by one to ask your questions. Um, otherwise, I can ask the question for you if you prefer. Um, but for now, um, over to Sebastian. Thanks, for Sebastian. Afternoon all, hope you're well. Let me share my screen. Can you hear me okay? Give me a, give me a nod, Becky, if you can hear me okay. Can hear you loud and clear. Brilliant, thanks. Hi, thanks for joining uh, myself uh, and listening to me for the next 15, 20 minutes. As uh, Becky kind of introduced me, I'm going to be speaking about uh, what's happening in the finance sector and how generally you, we use data and just um, also about technology trends within the sector. I'll be covering um, my career path to date, how I got here, um, AI ops, AI, um, a little bit of ML, um, but everything is obviously all focused and underpinned on data. So before I jump in into my talk, I'll talk a little about myself and how I got here. Let me just ping to my next slide. So I've been in the city for around 20 years. This is a very short summary of my, uh, I, I say my uh, technology rap sheet. So I did a computer and business degree at Brunel University. I then uh, worked for the Queen's Bank Hermes Pension Management for a few years um, as an Oracle the database administrator, an Oracle Apps database administrator. Before moving to Ernst & Young, I was an Oracle DBA, SQL Server and Infamix DBA for four years. I um, also was a product manager and project manager at Ernst & Young. I then scaled and carried on working through UBS, ICAP and JP Morgan, all in very core coding, um, Oracle, SQL Server, Infamix um, roles, Microsoft roles. I then, within those roles, I was always scaling and continuing on my journey from um, being a techie, but also taking on management, role, management roles. And generally, I was the person that was pushed in front of management to give the bad news when batches weren't working. I then decided to retrain as a project project manager. Did my uh, oh my gosh, uh, I'm trying to think what I did now. Uh, my PMP um, and my Sigma and um, those qualifications a number of years ago. And then I worked, walked into Coffer and Dixon's and retrained again to be a product manager where I launched apps for Coffer and Dixon's. Um, I was working in a team which was supporting an application called Pinpoint, which was then used in all branches. I know there's been a little bit of a change on the high street, but at that time, you would walk into branch and it was an application that you was able to compare your usage of minutes text and uh, voice events your network and phone it will give you at any one time the best deal for your needs because at that time carphone 
had access to around 1,200 different tariffs per day. So it was really a, quite a bit of a minefield for the customer service representatives in store in um, to actually get to actually really have a think and and gain their lens of what they should be providing to the customers and also giving that commercial viable lens as well from back office. I then joined HSBC around four years ago um, as a as a contractor and I'm still a contractor there at the moment now and it's been a, a an amazing nearly four years. I joined as a transformation manager, moving a lot of services, products, and people from high cost to low cost from say Sheffield um, to Bangalore. Um, and I worked on that program for two years. I then moved into artificial intelligence, which was last year. And I ran the first proof of value um, of an AI ops environment within the money laundering area of HSBC, financial crime and regulatory. And then moving me up to where I am right now in 2020, um, being the delivery lead for the Google Cloud project within HSBC, within the CMB Commercial Bank. So, you can see my trajectory, which some of you have already asked for. Um, I've got a few pings and emails of how did you actually get to your role. It's it, it's very much there in front of you. It's been a it's been a long struggle, but a very enjoyable one. So let's just talk about technology at the moment and things I think that you should be aware of if you're not. Given this, this is the uh, Open Data Institute, we've got huge technology advancements at the moment from IoT. AI, which I go into a little bit later, payments, which is very dear to, to my heart and myself, because obviously within investment banking, how can we leverage blockchain? How can we leverage payment and cloud methodologies to improve processes, cut costs, speed up the time to market, and also improve customer service? It's all very much the same themes of what we're trying to do. We're trying to do things faster, cheaper, um, but also improve. Um, Sorry, it's my kids shouting in the background, and, and improve how we're able to deliver to our customers. So we have changes massively in customer behavior too. If I think about how my, my mother at the moment would always like to go to branch to deposit a check. But if we look at the likes of our competitors like Monzo and Starling, um, great startups, they definitely pivot and they definitely do things in a different way. In relation, Well, they're very much very all all that based as opposed to going out and looking at going out and having customers go into branches. Um, the barriers to entry for the people getting involved in the financial sector without a banking license are definitely lowered because we all do have access to the same technology. We don't have the same leveraging from a price perspective, but we do have access to, tech, to technology in the same way. So that means that's enabled the likes of Monzo to scale and to really start to challenge us and there's a lot more challenger banks out there that are doing very well in this sector at this time. I definitely find FCA regulation um, sometimes a bit of a pain but it's obviously necessary. Um, I also find that they're generally behind what's happening in industry at the moment. So it's very important that we are on the journey with the FCA because obviously they're there to safeguard a lot of the solutions that are being prompted um, in the financial sector and being used for you all. At the moment, I think the playing field for technology, data, um, OSI stack, whichever way you want to look at it, is huge. There's so much access to um, information and there's so much want within the technology sector, whether it be from the data level all the way to the front serving customer level from an AI standpoint, there's just so much more investment. It's the likes that smaller startup companies, smaller startup AI companies can gain vast amounts of seed money from 
angel investors. So it's definitely a great time to be involved within data, within technology, probably more so because it's, we're now starting to crystallize a lot of the promises that have been around the financial sector, around the data sector for a number of years. So technology, it definitely can be here. It definitely can help help us as a company, as a global company, and myself as a director tackle some of the biggest challenges in the financial sector. So what's going on right now with HSBC? HSBC are hugely data rich. They have 150 years of, well, they've been around for 150 years, and they've got stacks and stacks loads of customer data. What we're trying to do, and what a lot of there is trying to do within banking, just generally, not just HSBC, is use that data to create analytical outputs. What are we going to do with that analytical outputs? It will change the way in which all sectors or all industries or all parts of uh, the technology advancements at the moment will interact with yourself as customers. And that's absolutely huge at the moment. Being able, uh, let me bring this into context for you, and uh, not just for banking, but um, I had a, if I think of, from a restaurant perspective, if they're able to collect uh, what you eat, when you actually go into said restaurant, what time you go into that restaurant, who you go in with that restaurant, they'll start to be able to offer you services, offer you products, offer you discounts, all around using that data to create strong analytics, to start to predict their customer behavior, or, or start to shape offers and customize offers through CRM systems, sorry, customer relationship management systems, to ensure that you have a better relationship with that restaurant or you have a better relationship with that finance sector. You won't be basically having conversations from a standing start. They'll be using what's basically been in the background to create you to create real value products for yourself. Artificial intelligence is definitely the key to a lot of things at the moment and the key to the future of technology. Moving forward, artificial intelligence is still very much granular with, with the zeros and ones and a lot of people are talking about how how is AI actually moving the dial forward? Well, at HSBC, which I'll show in the next slide, we definitely have chatbots which start to simulate that conversation that we have between, um, between yourself and the machine to basically make it more human-like to enable you as a customer to gain the information you can quicker without sometimes having to go all the way through to a customer service representative. And also, if you're a HSBC customer, you already use um, AI with my voice is my password, which is openly available. I'm not, I think, I'm, not, I'm trying to think if I'm first directly with too, I'm not too sure. Machine learning, again, underpins what I was saying before about creating um, the creation of those value products. I can't underpin how, how important it is to have machine learning sit on top of the data to start to plow your data lakes, to plow um, and go through and to create those insights, to create those trends, to give the people at the front office that insight so when you come into branch, they're again talking to you from a continual standpoint, not starting the conversation from the start. What's next for computing and data? Borderless computing, digital, digital identification, cyber is at the forefront of everything from, um, well, keeping your data safe, data privacy. So let's let me just under, under, underpin some of those. There's definitely constraints and issues. Excuse me. Definitely constraints and issues with having access to data in the UK, to having access to the same data in, say, South America or China. Um, there are definitely constraints where you will have to log on to different systems in different ways, even for the same corporation. 
And if we are able in the utopia world to have one login for everything, that would start to remove the barriers that we have where we have, let's just say, an Alibaba cloud strategy for China, but then you would have a Google cloud strategy for, say, the UK and Europe um, because of restrictions and restrictions from borders for different regions for a multitude of different reasons. They definitely impact you having that seamless journey between if you travel as a HSBC customer or as any other banking customer from one sector to another. So if you're able to remove the borders, you can then look at your digital identification and just have that as your passport as you do where you have one passport across all of your digital technology standpoints. And a lot of those would independ and improve your communication and then improve how you log on and how you don't log on to certain systems. But at the same time, we have to keep your data private. We have to. Nobody wants to know that their data is on the open market for sale. So data privacy to create that utopia world that I spoke of is, is imperative. And at any one time, there are all people, there are always people trying to steal that data. So cyber is very high on the list. But again, as Robert says at the bottom here, problems are definitely not stop signs, they're guidelines. So I know there's masses and masses of people, a lot more smaller than I, working on restricting cyber attacks and, and how they're modeling and creating different models to do that. But at the same time, if we can reduce the attacks on cyber, we can hopefully promote and improve our data privacy so then we can unpick the borderless computing and just have that one digital, digital identification for you to progress on your journey through cyberspace with your data. So I did mention it before about chatbots, chatbots and bleh, chat, chatbots and biometrics. What are they for? So if you log on to HSBC website, you'll definitely see a pop-up come up on the left-hand side. Um, it's been there for quite a while now, and it'll ask you what questions you would like to do, and it will start to funnel your questions down. You, I'm, I'm sure the majority of you would have would have seen it, if not on HSBCs, but your other um, apps. And and that at the background is is machine learning, or that is AIs, and all that information that is being gathered is being used to see what you would like as a customer or what your region would like or what your street would like or your area or your county. And it starts to change the, the, the representation of data of what you see when you log on to said service. This is not just for banking. This is for everyone. But ideally, if I know, and I'll go back to my mother as an example, she would like to deposit a check and she wants to find out how to do that. Maybe um, by going on and asking that question three or four times because she, 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 she may not get the answer that she wants the first time, HSBC then know, okay, this person needs this advice. Maybe we can help and promote data or promote what is seen on the basic homepage when that person logs on. That's not happening at the moment, but we do have the chatbots to enable um, help and funnel that information through to the right person so we can gain that insight once you get through to a customer service representative. So ideally, you're improving customer service, you're improving engagement, and you're monitoring your customers' um, data to basically gain that insight. Ideally, that's going to improve generation and lead generation of products um, and also save both yourself time and the vendor and the in institution um, with which you're basically interacting with at said time. So that's from the front side. If I flip down to the back side of uh, data and AI, we can talk a little bit about AI ops because I did mention that I did a proof of value last year. And while we have, I said, customer centric at the front, 
how is AI looking at what it can do to suppress alerts or not suppress alerts, report alerts in the right way? So AI ops, artificial intelligence operations, as I said here, it's really there to look at the number of alerts that are coming from real low level, lower level in the operational stack um, reporting systems from BMC Patrol to Mooksoft to Big Panda um, to Splunk. And what they're basically doing is they're looking at the alerts that our um, data engineers receive on a daily basis. And what they're doing is they're bringing those alerts together to create a common theme, again, to put the machine learning and create a trend to ensure that when the person receives that phone call at three o'clock in the morning, and I did receive those phone calls and I, back in my earlier days when I was a database administrator, it wasn't just, we've received five alerts from this system, you need to check it out. It's a case of, we've received 30 alerts across all of these systems, it's creating this picture, and this is what we need you to do, and these are the systems that you need to look at, and this is what we think the action needs to be for you to address this current solution in hand. So AIOps is really looking at backend infrastructure and looking at how it can it, it can infiltrate and absorb itself into the technology stack to reduce the number of incidents and reduce the number of calls that are happening to our service individuals that are doing those night shifts, our DBAs, our coders, our network guys. Um, and AIOps is relatively new. Um, I looked at this and I said I worked on this in 2019. It only really came onto the Gartner, the Gartner Standard Chart a few years before that. So it's a great sector to be involved in if you want to stay ahead of technology, just the same way AI, AI is as well, generally. So I'll go back to the crystal lens because I think, um, and how data is used, because I think this is my second to last slide, so I'm starting to wrap up now. Data drives analytics, which drives the insight, which empowers our regional managers to branch colleagues to make the right decisions at the right time for all customers. Again, if I am a regional manager and I'm working with my agricultural customers, I can basically not just um, give those guys packages or those customers packages that are for their needs. We can start to look across the area, across the county, and see what other customers are basically taking on. And we can start to give that depth of level of viewpoint that our regional managers are basically crying out for to give the personal project products to our different managers. And by having that information, we can tailor it towards the customer at any one time. And it gives them that 360 degree view, which is imperative. The ecosystem of data, I think it's important not just to look at the data that is currently held internally, but it's also looking at the data that is held externally by third party companies, which are great to basically bring that 360 degree view together, but also at the same time, um, look at what's going on in the market trend. I think analytics as a service is, in very, is, is imperative for all organizations. Everybody wants insights, and it's using what you already have as opposed to buying it in. Integration, um, technology is always, what I would say is always, has generally been seen as something outside of sometimes the management structure. But if you look at the C-suite and the top of the table at the moment, you'll have your CIO, you'll have your CTO, you'll have your CDO, and you'll have another CDO. And some people ask, what's the difference? Well, you've got your chief data officer, then you've got your chief digital officer. And it just shows the importance now that people are taking on gaining that insight that they've now split those roles between CTO, CDO, and um, chief digital and data officer. And business integration, the pillars between the two needs to needs, everybody needs to eat more, work more cohesively from productively to basically drive that insight that everybody needs for that business outcome of increasing the bottom line. And cultural adoption, 
you couldn't say anymore. If everybody's on the same path and everybody's looking at this in the same way, it's going to be absolutely brilliant. Um, but again, there's a lot of fear generally to change. And I would implore you all to just take your view and to take your lens of how you can be empowered, how you can move the doubt forward, and what can you do at this time to ensure that you're a change maker because it's here and it's happening and it's better to embrace it at times. So there's a lot, generally a lot of fear for change and adoption, but there doesn't need to be here. It's here to help us improve as all. So that's me. Um, I'm very easy to find on LinkedIn um, or my uh, email address there or Twitter. So um, if there's any questions after this or you wish to connect, I'm, I'm, I said reach out and uh, I'll pass back to Becky and I'll stop sharing my screen. Start my video. Uh, thanks, thanks very much, Sebastian. Um, to start my video, yeah. Oh. No, my video went up. Um, anyway, I'm, can you hopefully you can hear me? Um, yeah, thanks. For that looks really great. Um, Hannah, um, I know you've asked a question. Would you like to go first with your question? Yeah, yeah, happy to. Uh, thanks, Sebastian. That was really interesting. Um, from the, the customer point of view, which was your, your sort of final point on the, on the last slide, yeah. um, how do you sort of proactively uh, get feedback from those customers um, and, uh, who are experiencing the, the changes that you're making? And um, how then do you loop that back into uh, making improvements on the service? Yeah. There's, there's an incredible amount of uh, feedback loop. So we, we have, we, we, Sorry, we have to listen to our colleagues on the ground. So our branch managers, our regional managers that are talking to our customers. Uh, we um, collectively, I mean, I don't monitor these channels because I'm not in marketing, but there's uh, Twitter channels, there's, there's YouTube, there's Facebook, there's LinkedIn. All of this basically creates massive information of giving us what our customers want, um, where they're experiencing pain points, because our customers are very, very vocal um, and they will use the channel just as everyone else does. So... It's a case of listening, um, gathering all the information, finding out which area it needs to go to. I work in commercial banking. It might be totally different from our retail partners, maybe very different from our private banking partners, but everybody's listening and it's gathering all that information and ensure it's funneled to the right person to address those needs. Thank you. Um, we've got a message from uh, Colin um, who said he'd be interested to hear any thoughts you have around uh, consumer attitudes data sharing with increasing uh, consumer awareness of the power of their data positively but also negatively so how how do customers feel about sharing data are, are people happy to or are they quite reticent um i, I honestly wow well, it, it's, it's a brilliant question and it really I, I don't think at the moment there's a general consensus i, I think there is sorry, okay there's it, it, it differs so much depending on, on, on who you ask. Obviously, you have, we had GDPR, which came on came into force um, not too long ago. Um, but I don't think there's a global view or an overall view of, yes, I'm happy to share data or no, I'm not. A lot of people are very private with their data, and rightly so, because we've seen different cases of how it could be used. So to answer from a consensus point of view, I'm not really too sure. But I know as, as a paramount, it's... Uh, we, we do our best not to share and we do our best to keep it as private as possible. We're not, I would never say we're, we're, we're vulnerable to attacks because I know HSBC is attacked on a daily basis from lots of different uh, cyber terrorists that uh, are trying to extract that, that valuable information. But 
going back to the front, front point to answer that, it's, it's quite a difficult one. I don't think I can give a concrete answer. I'm, I'm going to have to give that some thought and come back to you. Thanks. And um, we've got a question from, is it um, Giles? I think if you'd like to unmute. Yeah, that's Giles. Hi, Giles. Hi. I'm sorry, maybe it's a very uh, high-level question, but I, I was wondering, um, within everything that you're seeing at AG, HSBC or uh, as a consultant, what are those, um, I mean, uh, elements that are symptoms of uh, continuous trends and what are the things that are definitely disruptive and that will uh, call for drastic changes in big organizations like HSBC, for instance? Uh, symptoms of symptoms of what, Giles? Sorry, you said. So you said symptoms of what? Symptoms, in fact, what you've de been describing. Uh, yeah. s some of the things you've been describing. Uh, I mean, in the continuation of what was happening before, it's just faster, broader, etc., uh, etc. Et and there are some some changes that are, uh, in my mind, uh, disruptive. Uh, there is a question following maybe about the chatbots. Yeah. Chatbots is something which is definitely changing the way we are interacting with the customer. So for me, it's disruptive and we can see that on the, on the contact center, it, uh, it brings more, um, it brings a different kind of uh, organization, the way you interact with the customer, the way you organize the shift of the, of the teams, etc. So are there others uh, disruptive uh, way of using the data that you can already see that we should uh, anticipate and maybe uh, uh, build upon new new way of doing business oh. especially in, in retail well okay so i think um now tell me if i've answered your question right so i think if we look at if we look at the different trends of technology that um, are being embraced across the sector they are definitely going to change things internally. Um, it's what is a it's what is adopted and what is rolled out on a, on a user case per use case perspective. They're definitely going to have changes. So chatbots, as we spoke about earlier, that's definitely one. It it it, it was very much a no brainer. Um, there was a lot of research behind it, but um, it was on a no brainer. There are definitely changes to the application function if you use HSBC, where you can now have your statements. Um, already in the app. So they're all changes which reduce your interaction, let's say, with the branch, which would obviously then have a knock-on effect of looking at the branch and possibly how that branch is going to be used. Um, so it's, and then you, so if you think about, if you think of changes to the app to statements and you can now use your credit, you can now use your app to um, deposit a credit uh, or check, you possibly would go to branch less, then you would look at the usability of that branch, you look at the people there, and you may deploy them to other areas of the bank or other areas of the network. You may close that branch down, which has an impact on retail and, and cost of that retail place. So every, there, there is an impact for everything, and not so much a domino, but one thing does impact another. It, chatbots would change shift times. AI ops would change, let's just say, maybe the number of calls, which amass from... BMC patrol levels at the bottom all the way to when the person is called. You may then look to have different shift patterns for who's online. Um, and also then looking at how the data is used, you can then make, look at certain products of which have been made or which you thought were very challenging and compelling and think, I don't think anyone's using them in the same way because you start to measure them and say, maybe we should withdraw these products and we need to pivot into these products and they would need 
more um, of uh, development, or they maybe need less development. So it, there, there are lots of change makers on lots of different things within technology, which have which will have an impact both from the front end, back end, and bottom line. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. And um, I think Anwar had a had a similar question. Anwar, do you, uh, have you has that been answered, or would you like to ask that still? Uh, well, the question was, I think he's still muted, but it, um, how do you see the, uh, uh, our new one here, um, did you encounter any surprises when using AI features through the chat box? Um, I wasn't close enough to that, to the, to the, okay, so the front end one, I wouldn't be able to answer because it's before my time. Um, for AI ops, which, which I did, oh, absolutely shed loads. Um, and trying to think what I can say and what I can't say because obviously it's personal, but I realized that you really need a, a strong data lake to help you give that predictive, to, uh, you need a data lake to basically mine your data, which will help you with your future predictions. Um, I'm aware that certain AI ops vendors do chat to, to do chat and connect to your existing data lake. Some of them don't. Um, and so that was a surprise. Cultural adoption was definitely one of them. There was definitely, generally quite a lot of fear of, this is going to reduce uh, our time of being on call and just reduce our teams. But tech-wise, tech data lake um, projections, um, how it reported out, it definitely needs to have more symmetry with your help desk systems, whether you use Jira or whether you use ServiceNow or whether you use uh, Remedy, whichever your service systems use. There needs to be a lot more in integration, which I found, which was definitely a struggle. I hope that answered uh, for you and more. Thank you. Um, and I had a question about um, the one digital identification. Um, wh when that is cross-border, uh, does that um, does that introduce risks with uh, data different data regulations across the world? Like, uh, um, what what are the risks when it sort of crosses those borders? Definitely, definitely does. So, um, and and that's and that's part of the massive challenge at the moment when you go I and mean, we, we we use our computers in a borderless way but our data um to access the same systems you may not be able to so i may not i i cannot use google cloud in china because they don't use it obviously facebook has its, has its own restrictions very simply so it does bring it does bring in massive challenges and there's lots of regulation where data can be shared in one region and it can't be shared in another um, and there's also lots of uh, regulation of customers not wanting to share their data too so it proves a massive and probably the regulation definitely over overpowers the technology the technology is already there it's the regulation which rightly so in some in, in a lot of instances ensures that data is just not available to everybody everywhere oh you're on mute I think thank you <laughs> um, <laughs> Any more questions? There's no more in the chat, but does anyone want to um, say anything before we wrap up? Um, I've got another question. Sorry, me again. Um, has um, open banking uh, influenced any of the, the activity that you're doing or, or changed the way that you're, you're doing it? It not directly to me, but I definitely for the sector it has done hundred um, percent with the ability to connect via API to different banks within um, 
I'm looking at the HSBC app. Um, and you can obviously then bring in your accounts from different areas. The way you can switch accounts now, some of the promises to switch in 30 days has had, has had huge impacts and implications where I think it was something like two or three months it used to be to switch bank accounts. So um, that's definitely made it better for the customer. It's probably made it a lot harder for the financial institution. So it definitely um, required a lot of development back back in well, back in head office or back in the delivery teams to ensure that happened. So, yeah, AI, open banking has made it. It's, it's again, something that's lowered the boundaries. Um, it's enabled someone to switch from HSBC to Monzo and vice versa a lot easier. The question is if they want to. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's helped. So, yeah, so I think we can, we can wrap up now. Um, uh, thanks very much for joining us, Sebastian. That was really interesting and really great answers as well to the questions. Um, Thank you. And yeah, the recording and the uh, audio and video recording will be available um, for people who want to uh, want to watch later. Um, and we're just getting some thank yous in the chat. Um, Cheers, guys. Okay. And yeah, thanks everyone for coming. All right. All the best. Have a great weekend. Take care. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture, brought to you by the Open Data Institute.